0: yes hello friends it's bill allen finally sorry i'm a few minutes late Uh, sometimes that happens in the wonderful computer world and uh it happened to to me the other day as we couldn't get uh online at all uh in a way where you could follow live and today i was just running a little bit behind and had to reboot and all of that other fun stuff so at any rate here i am and i hope that you are with me and that you're able to get this and that hopefully you will be able to comment uh, as we go along and chime in and say hello if you do. Uh, Hopefully that will be something that uh, you'll be able to see. Last time there was some setting that was off or something or another and so I apologize for that but if you're watching this now and are able to uh, uh, view it okay and let me know that that will be very helpful and I hope that um, that our time together is uh, is is good for you and important for you, because this is truly a uh, a very important lesson. I want us to look at a couple of psalms today, uh, Psalm 50 and Psalm 73. Uh, all of these are psalms that are um, uh, both of these are psalms that speak about true uh, religion, and uh, I hope that uh, that you are you benefit from. Uh, from these, and that you're able to uh, uh, consider uh, all of these, uh, all of these great thoughts. So they are, um, again, uh, Psalm Psalm 50, and then Psalm uh, 73, and they have to do with uh, true religion. Um, and so the question is, what is true religion? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, Jesus in John chapter four talked about that in verse 24. Um, He said, uh, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so what exactly is that true uh, worshiper? What what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, In Romans chapter 12, there's a great passage that says we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This comes as a part of our response uh, to God. Uh, in faith. Um, that passage in Romans 12 begins with these words, in view of God's mercies, because of what God has already done, uh, we offer our bodies as living uh, sacrifices. And um, and then, of course, the rest of Romans, chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 especially, uh, speak to what it looks like to live faithfully to God uh, every day. And uh, that is something that is uh, absolutely Uh, significant. And so, uh, James 1 reminds us that uh, we are called upon to not just worship God directly with our songs and our prayers, but that also pure religion, uh, James tells us, is to remember those who are in need. Specifically, he mentions orphans and widows, but he also says that it's to keep ourselves from being uh, polluted by the world. And, um, And I think that's that's significant. And I do want to share with you one more scripture and it's one that I think is um, very vital as we consider this thought of living a life of worship. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so, um, here we talk about direct and indirect worship. Uh, If you know me and you've heard me speak or teach or preach on worship, as I'm going to be doing this coming Sunday morning, by the way, at 10 a.m., you can catch that worship service and... Uh, My comments during the sermon time at our website, uh, westerwin.com, under our social media and resources, uh, scroll down to the link that says live streaming page. And and that will show at 10 a.m. and then it'll be in our archives after that. Um, And this passage reminds us that our worship is direct and indirect. Direct is that worship that we offer directly to God. It's, um, it's exactly that. We give him our praise. We give him our songs. We give him our prayers. We partake of communion. Um, we, we do all of those things. We study the word of God and consider that word. And all of those things are the kinds of things that uh, God wants us to do in direct worship of him. But that's not the only time or place that we worship. John 4 brings that out. Uh, Jesus, in talking with that woman from Samaria, the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, she is interested in that question. Where are you supposed to worship? At Jerusalem? In Samaria? Where? And Jesus says, you know, uh, there's something that is missing from your question, and that is that God is spirit, and true worshipers worship him spiritually and truthfully, in spirit and in truth. Uh, worship him according to his will. I think that's what in truth means, according to the will of God. Um, God has talked to us in scripture about how we are to worship him. And, um, and I think it's important for us to consider that and to, and to try to obey it. But God has also uh, a spirit. God is spirit. He's not physical. And so we're called upon to worship God spiritually uh, from our hearts. And I think that's mentioned in the Old Testament and certainly, of course, in the New Testament. And so this passage talks about, in Hebrews 13 verses 15 and 16, talks about direct and indirect true worship. Uh, Let us offer to God continually a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. That's direct worship. We praise Him with our lips, with our words, with our praise. But then verse 16 talks about indirect worship and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. That word sacrifice is a worship word. And so clearly the Holy Spirit tells us to offer up to God, our direct and indirect worship, direct worship, offering praises to him, indirect worship, living a life of praise, doing good and helping others. and it's interesting to me that um, that that great passage is a great start off uh, for us in uh, the Psalms. Because as we consider the Psalms in Psalm 50 and in Psalm 73, we find two great examples of indirect and direct worship. Um, and uh, and so I want us to go there but as we do I want to make a quick comment and that is that I'm not seeing any activity on uh, folks tal- chiming in and telling me hey we're here so I'm assuming that um, I still have some technical problems afloat but just as we did the last time we will post this uh, um, a little bit later if it's not on right now and you can't see it live we'll post this a little bit later and we'll likely do that on Thursday Uh, also where I'm going to be out Thursday afternoon. And so actually I'll be able to post it a little bit early on Thursday. And you can uh, even if you don't get to watch it live, you can watch it. I'll probably be uh, recording the session on Thursday morning at 10 a.m. instead of 3 p.m. Texas time, Central Standard Time. But for now, I apologize that um, that we're just not quite Uh, up to par with our uh, technology here and I'm sure that that is on my part uh, not having settings exactly right. And so I have some wonderful friends that are much more IT savvy than I am and they will continue to bail me out, sorry about that. But as we consider true worship today, as we consider direct and indirect worship, I want us to take a look at these two Psalms. The psalmists remind us of what God wants and doesn't want in his followers. The psalmists tell us what is and what isn't true religion. And so we're going to start with this great psalm, Psalm 50, that talks about indirect worship. Um, In fact, it clearly says that what God wants from us is not just Sunday worship, we would say, in this Christian age. Uh, Sabbath worship or festival worship or just worship with sacrifices, the Old Testament Jews would say. But God wants our hearts and he wants us to live faithfully to him every day. And we can see this contrast in the greatest and the second greatest commandments that Jesus gave us in Matthew 22 and Mark 12 and other places where Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in a sense, we can see direct and indirect worship in both of those, but especially direct worship is seen in, in that love for God and worshiping Him according to His will. But that that second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's indirect worship. That's doing good and and sharing with those who are in need and and sharing the love of God. Uh, with those who are in need of that love. Um, Psalm 50 speaks of that indirect worship. True religion is more than simply external worship practices. As we talk about true worship and true religion today, the psalmist in Psalm 50 makes a very strong case that uh, true religion is more than just going to church. It's more than just Sunday worship. I believe it includes that, and Psalm 73 will bring that out. But it's more than that. If that's all it is, that's not enough. That's not enough. It wasn't enough in the days of the psalmist in the Old Testament, and it's not enough now. Um, We read great passages of scripture from beginning with the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, uh, even beginning in the Garden of Eden uh, with uh, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, as Cain uh, committed murder and killed his brother Abel out of jealousy. that was a sin. That was uh, obviously a sin against God. And, um, and, and the psalmist and the prophets all bring that out. Great passages of scripture like Isaiah 1, 10 through 20 and Amos 4 and 5 and Micah 6 and Hosea 6. Uh, so many other great passages remind us that this is what, um, what God wants. He wants our lives. He wants our lives. So Psalm 50 is a is in the setting of a courtroom. It's pretty exciting, and uh, it's interesting that God is um, is not as much judge as he is prosecuting attorney, and his people are the defendants. And the verdict is not going to go their way. Uh, God summons his people in Psalm 50 to appear in court. And so let's look, first of all, in Psalm 50, uh, looking at the first six uh, verses. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness for he is a God of justice. God calls his people to court and he is not happy. He is not happy. And he calls his people, he summons his people uh, before the heavens and the earth. Uh, to come into his presence in a courtroom setting uh, because he has something, uh, he has a charge against them. Uh, And so God, again, is going to act not as judge as much as prosecuting attorney. God testifies against his people, beginning in Psalm 50, verse 7. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? It's a strong case God has against his people and what he's telling them is, I don't have you sacrificing to me because I need those sacrifices. That's not that's not what this is all about. Um, he continues this same thought in verse 16. Um, but to the wicked person, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join in with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These are the charges that God has against them. And just as he said in verse 8, he says, Look, I'm not charging you because you're not offering up the sacrifices I've commanded. Oh, you're doing that. The external sacrifices, God says, you're offering up the burnt offerings to me, but but why are you doing that? It's not like I need the blood of bulls and goats and calves to to survive. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. They're all mine. If I needed something, I w- I would I have it. I have it. I'm the creator of the world. It's all at my beck and call. Um, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, verse 12, like you could provide something that I couldn't. Uh, Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? God asks in verse 13. Is this why you're, Is this the only thing that this means to you? Um, God testifies against his people and he testifies before the heavens and the earth as they look on and listen in uh, to his charges against his people. And then in verses 21 and 22, God gives a stern warning to his people. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. God gives them a warning and he says, look, think about what you're doing here. Think about what's going on here. Um, If you forget me and my commands and the way I have called you to live, it is not going to go well with you. All the sacrifices in the world will not make up for a heart that is disobedient to me. King Saul learned that as Samuel writes in 1 Samuel. uh, David learned that because of his great sin. Uh, Abraham learned that. Uh, Lot saw that firsthand in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and, And God's people throughout time have learned that God wants more than just our external worship. Well, what is it that God actually wants? God tells his people that. In Psalm 50, First of all, in verses 14 and 15, instead of all of the sacrifices and all of the external worship, God says in verses 14 and 15, sacrifice, thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the most high and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. And then the last verse of Psalm 50, verse 23: "Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation." Well, what's the difference here, Bill? Well, the difference is these are more um, more worship that is not required. These thank offerings are are something that's simply out of a heart of gratitude to God, and they and they see that lived out in their daily lives. Um, the psalmist is uh, is very much aware of the failures of his people, and God says, "Look, I'm 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 bringing it up. It's it's time. It's time. We're going to court over this, and uh, God has a very strong case against his people." And he says, it's not because you're not offering up the direct worship. It's because you're not living the way I want you to live. You're not in a close relationship with me that those thank offerings would indicate. You're not calling on me in the day of trouble. Uh, That great and wonderful verse, verse 15 says, I've heard so many people through the years who say, you know, I haven't really been faithful to God. I haven't been studying my Bible. I haven't been going to church, but now my life is a mess. And I feel guilty about going to God in prayer now. Well, don't feel guilty. If that's where you are right now, God says, call on me in the day of trouble. Of course, he wants us to call on him all the time. But he specifically says, I want you to call on me in the day of trouble as well. Um, This is what this psalm says. And, uh, And again, it is exactly right in the heart of the prophets. Uh, whether it's Isaiah 1 or Jeremiah 7, that Jeremiah's sermon on the church building as he stands outside of the temple and rails against those Jews who take pride in the fact that they're descendants of Abraham and feel like that gives them permission to to live any way they want to live and to take advantage of others simply because they can. Um, Hosea 6 reminds us, and Jesus quotes it, uh, in the New Testament, in his during his life and ministry, he tells the people around him, the religious leaders especially, go and learn what o- Hosea meant when he said, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice." And that's exactly what Psalm 50 is saying. I'm not I'm not charging you because you're not offering up the sa- the the offerings and sacrifices to me. You're doing that, but your heart is far away. Hosea reminds them of that as well. The great passages in Amos 4 and 5 and in Micah 6. Micah 6 says, what what does the Lord require of you? What, What is it that God wants? And he says, it's to walk justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To love justice, to love mercy, to be just and right, to be merciful and considerate and respectful and forgiving. Um, to walk humbly with God. That's what God wants. That's what the psalmist says as well. And throughout the New Testament, we're reminded of that also. The great passage in Romans chapter 12 where Paul says, Look, offer your bodies as living sacrifices every single day. Give your body, give yourself, give your life to God. Paul says in Galatians 2, I'm crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live. Christ lives in me. Uh, just as we saw that passage in Hebrews 13 and that call from John in 1 John 3 and 4 to not just love God but as God in Christ Jesus has loved us to love our brothers and our sisters in that same way that's what we're called to do Jesus when he washed the disciples feet in John 13 said look now that I've done this for you and I'm your master I want you to do this not for me but for others for each other Um, Psalm 50 is a call for us to remember that true religion is more than just the external practice of going to church and public worship together uh, direct to God. Uh, It is living our lives 24-7. I don't know why in the world anyone would question that because that's what God wants. He wants our full obedience. He wants our whole heart. He wants our whole lives. Jesus himself said in Luke 9, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross every single day and then come and follow me. Uh, true religion is more than simply external worship practices. But secondly, as we turn over to Psalm 73, true religion is worshiping God in community. Uh, Just as Psalm 50 emphasizes our everyday life of worship, Psalm 73 reminds us that there is a special and unique opportunity to worship and that God has commanded us to do, and that is when his people gather together in community. For the Jews, it was at the temple or later at the synagogue, but for Christians, it is at the church. And I realize the church is more than just a building. Lord knows that in 2020, we've learned that lesson better than ever. But there's something special and unique about the worship assembly scripture is consistent with that old testament and new and in the new testament in passages like hebrews 10 and first corinthians 14 and acts 20 we find rare examples of what it meant for the church to gather together psalm 73 is a psalm that speaks about that in an old testament context that speaks about direct worship as a community of faith in the assembly of God's people. Uh, Psalm 73 begins and ends with the confident assurance of God's blessing and deliverance, but in the middle, the psalmist struggles. What does he struggle with? He struggles with the same question that people of all time have struggled with, and that is simply, why is it that it seems that righteous people suffer and wicked people get off scot-free? Why is that? The psalmist asks that question, just as Job did, just as so many others have. Uh, the wicked seem to be living carefree a carefree life uh, in great blessings, while sometimes the righteous, just it's just one bad circumstance after another. How is that right? How is that fair? Well, just as Job didn't get answers to those questions, but was introduced to a powerful God that he had only heard about, but now he was able to have a strong relationship with because of the fire that he had been put through, the psalmist says much the same thing. What gets him through this questioning and this difficulty and this seeming injustice all around him uh, is the fellowship and encouragement of worshiping with God's people. And so Psalm 73, verse 1, the psalmist asserts, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He believes that. That's his mind talking. God is good to his people. I know that. But, but, verse 2 is where the struggle begins. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance they threaten oppression. Verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, verse 11, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Have you ever felt that way? Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning just brings new punishments. Have you been there Have you looked around and wondered why there's so much suffering in your life and difficulty in your life when all you've done is try to follow God the best you can? And then you look around and you see people whose hearts are callous, who have no desire to serve God or to love others, and yet they're thriving. They're healthy. Their kids are healthy. There's money in their bank. They have great jobs. Everybody in the community loves them. How is that right? that's the question the psalmist is asking he says i don't I don't get this this isn't just this isn't right the 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 uh, sinners just walk around free of care happy in their wealth um, and they look to God and they say hey how's God gonna know what's he gonna do he hasn't done anything yet here I am the psalmist is really struggling and then verse 15 says this, I was really having a hard time with this until I gathered myself in worship with God's people. For the psalmist, he would mean until I went to the temple in the days of Asaph, uh, perhaps later after King David, but at least in the presence of the tabernacle, Asaph would say, you know, none of this made sense to me until I went to church. That's how we would put it, until I gathered with God's people and was reminded of what is really true. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, what we had just read, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. The psalmist says, none of this made sense until I entered the sanctuary of God. Again, we would say, I struggled with this. I was having a hard time with it. I was questioning everything. Nothing made sense until I joined with God's people and worshiped the Lord with my community of faith, with my church family. That's really what this psalm is talking about when you translate it into New Testament times. In Psalm 122, verse 1, one of those psalms of ascent, that we saw last week that the song, that the people of God would sing as they were on their pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 122, I rejoiced with those who said to me, hey, let's go to worship the Lord. Let's go to the house of the Lord. We read that same thing in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, calls on us to draw near to God because he has drawn near to us. And the psalmist says, don't neglect, don't forsake assembling yourselves together as some are already doing, but rather give yourself to the worship of God along with God's people. Be faithful in that. And even all the more, as you see the day of the Lord approaching, we're one day closer than we were yesterday. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, look, don't, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Why? Well, because you need it. You need that encouragement. First Corinthians 14 says, we worship together as a, as a body in community because we need to. We need that encouragement, but it's not just we that need that. Others need that from us. You might say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy, just being where I am, praying in my room. Um, maybe you're worshiping online, and if that's a, a safety concern for you because of health issues, then God bless you, keep doing that. But if you're only doing that because you've gotten a little comfortable and a little lazy, and it's easier to do that than to go to church, it's easier to do that than to get dressed and get ready and drive and Meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me urge you to reconsider. Online worship is wonderful. I'm so thankful we have it. And again, for many, it's the right thing because of safety concerns. And it's not like you're avoiding God or his people. It's not like you're neglecting or forsaking the assembly, as Hebrews 10 warns against. But if the reason you're doing that is simply because it's easier for you, it's gotten to be a a lazy habit that is just something that you don't want to commit more than you have to, let me assure you, God is not pleased. Why? Because you need to worship with your brothers and sisters and they need you to worship with them. The whole idea about the worship assembly is mutual encouragement. I've heard it said long ago that the purpose of our worshiping together and the focus of our worshiping together are different. Our focus is always upon God, of course. And in your private worship at home, your focus is on God. But your purpose is different. Your purpose is more of a selfish purpose. Purpose to help your own spiritual growth. But when the church gathers together to worship, it's no longer about you. It's about that person sitting on the pew with you or maybe across the aisle from you or or that person that's just sitting there with their head bowed down just really struggling through a difficult time and they need that worship so much. And when you're not there, there's something missing. There's something missing. Yes, you need the encouragement that comes from being with God's people, but you also need to be the one offering that encouragement. Um, And I believe that's the whole point of Hebrews 10. I believe that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 14. Acts 20 is another example of when early disciples gathered together. On the first day of the week, to break bread, to share communion together, and to hear a message from God's word as Paul preached to them. This psalmist reminds us that, you know, this world just doesn't make sense until you're with God's people. If you isolate yourselves from God's people, it will never make sense. But the psalmist says, none of this made sense until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. That God would make all this right. That the final destiny of the wicked, they'll get theirs. God will do that. He'll take care of that in due time. And I can trust him with that. Just as Jesus said in 1 Peter 2, Peter says that the reason Jesus could endure those horrible things in his trial and in his betrayal and in his being abandoned by everybody and and being beaten and mocked and finally crucified, the reason he could do that. 1 Peter 2 tells us is because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus said, look, I I know God, I know the Father's going to make all this right. I know he will. I know he will. It doesn't look like it right now, but he will. In the same way, the psalmist says, nothing made sense as I saw the injustice around me until I entered the sanctuary of God. And so the rest of this great psalm assures him of that. In Psalm 73, beginning in verse 21, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you, the psalmist tells his God. My flesh and my spirit may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This, like, like we do, the psalmist struggled. He said, look, I look around and it, this just doesn't make sense. I know God is fair and just and right, but boy, I look around and it just doesn't look like it. And and I, I had a real problem with that until I gathered with my church family and I worshiped the Lord with fellow worshipers, fellow believers. And that's when I was reminded that God can be trusted, that he is right and fair, and that he will bring about justice in his own time. And that'll be okay with me. That's something that we need to get from each other. And just as surely as we are to live faithfully to God every single day of our lives, 24-7 as the kids say, that's the message of Psalm 50. Also, we are called upon to meet with the church family because they need it and we need it. It's a hard thing to live a life of faithfulness all throughout your life. And that's why God established a community of faith to help us through it and to allow us to help others, that today is called the church. And I hope you're a part of a good, active church family. Nothing makes sense without worshiping God faithfully with His people and serving God faithfully with your daily life. I look forward to sharing with you again this coming Thursday about some things about gratitude and being thankful as we look ahead to the Thanksgiving holiday. And then next week we'll close out this study of the Psalms on Tuesday with a little bit of a look back at several of the Psalms. But for now, just remember, offer your bodies as living sacrifices each and every day, offering up spiritual, truthful worship to God and not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as some are already doing, but rather encouraging each other and all the more, as you see that day approaching. God bless you.